0: Uh, So today we're going to transition between kingdom analogies. Two kingdom analogies that Jesus uses often. So last week dealing with the seed, this week dealing with light. Spoiler alert, they both apply to Jesus. But they also both apply to His Word. And so that's what's going to connect us this morning. And so we're going to transition from the one of sowing for a harvest, and then this week it's going to be instruction for the sower. So this morning is going to be a lot of discipleship application. That's why the sermon title is Kingdom Light and Life. It's not just a theoretical concept that's off in the air somewhere. This is something that we're going to spend a lot of time applying this morning. I wanted to first, before we get into our text, look at a text that brings these two together. So if, if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 12. So this is an interesting time in Jesus' ministry. If you're familiar with the book of John, chapter 12 it begins the Passion Week. So we got the triumphal entry that happens right before the text that we're going to look at. I'm going to pick up around verse 20. And so the situation here is that Jesus is teaching in the temple, and for the first time, Greeks are coming and they're seeking after Jesus. And they're telling his disciples, we want to see Jesus. And so I think... What Jesus says in this passage really helps us to pull together what we saw last week and what we will see this week. This is how Jesus answered them. Again, never gives them exactly what they they want. But look what Jesus says in verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Just stop there for a moment. What is a grain of wheat? It is a seed. And so, we get into this more next week in the, the kingdom parallels, but a seed must first die, be removed from its, from its light source before it can fall to the ground and bear fruit. And so, when we look at the parable of the sower, apart from a seed dying, that seed cannot bear fruit. And this seed, the seed, is the seed of the gospel. Before before the the harvest can come in, before the sower can go out, the seed must die. This seed must die. This seed must die that he and be glorified. And so this is essential for the parable of of the sower. And then he, he connects with him being the seed who must die, who must go to the cross, who must lay down his life, who must take it up again so that he can come to new life, so that we can have new light in him, and through that new life, we'll receive light, which will come up in a moment. So, But again, first the seed must fall, and then he kind of attaches this reality to the person who would follow him. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will My servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You cannot separate the gospel from following and serving Christ. It cannot be just a set of theological principles. As Jesse just said a moment ago, we can't just be hearers of the word. We must be doers also. Then he kind of goes into where his, his soul is before he must go to the cross. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The other great thing about the seed is the seed is not worried about death. The seed is only concerned with glory. And so everything has been leading up to this point. All of Jesus' ministry, you cannot separate the miracles and the teaching and the parables from his hour of death, which leads to glory and most importantly, the glory of the Father. Then a voice comes from heaven, talking about glorifying it, and Jesus glorifying uh, it, and I will glorify it again, speaking of Jesus. And then he speaks about what's going to happen in this hour. Looking back to the binding of Satan that we saw a couple weeks ago, here's where eschatology comes from. Look at verse uh, 30. The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And so Jesus is saying, this is my hour, the seed is going to die, not only will the Father be, be glorified, but Satan, the, the great adversary, will be thrown out of heaven, he will be, he will be limited in his influence, I will, this will be the beginning of his end. And during that, I, when I am lifted up from earth, in, in my ascension, I will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is telling Here's what's going to happen. I must die. I must go before the Father. I'm going to begin to draw people. And what do you do while I am drawing people? What do you do in the meantime? And so they ask him questions about the Son of Man. But look how Jesus responds in verse 35. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light begins with the seed analogy finishes with the light analogy both applied to him and so when we look at these passages we can't look at them apart from christ they're not just good stories they're, they they can't be seen apart from god's plan of redemption so the seed will fall to the earth and die and a light will come and those who follow the light and believe in the light they will have life what both seed and light have in common, and it's worth noting, is that seed gives birth to seed. An apple tree never gives birth to an orange. The seed of Christ will always multiply and bear fruit of Christ. It will not and cannot bear something else. And life, light always emanates light. Light cannot produce darkness. Light will produce after its own kind. And so both of these things coming out of Christ will be done in Christ and will look like Christ. And so this is what we, we need to understand. And so when we get into Jesus' exhortations in our passage, which admittedly these are difficult to understand, if we understand the seed analogy and we understand the, the, the light analogy, hopefully this will all make sense and see how this is an exhortation to God's people but also a challenge. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Mark chapter 4. we we're going to begin reading in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? our lord and our god you are awesome what an amazing plan of redemption what an amazing gracious god that god the father would plan god the son would take on flesh and accomplish and god the spirit would instruct and preserve lord i pray that this morning Your spirit would illumine us, bring this text to light, to the glory of God the Father, to the praise of God the Son and everything he has done for us. That you would remove distractions, that you would remove any fog in the pulpit that would not transfer into the pews. That your light would shine brightly, that it would be clear to your children, that we would be encouraged and emboldened in the word, and be challenged and convicted where we fall short. Not to remain in self pity, but to repent, turn to you in confidence and boldness, and stand firmly. On our rock, our Redeemer, the light of the world, the seed that gave his life that we might have life. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. So, this morning we're going to deal with three seemingly unrelated ideas. And if you've read this passage before, it takes some of the most difficult sayings of Jesus and puts them all into a few short verses. So these are very difficult to translate. These are, these are kind of Hebraisms, what we would call that they're, they're Hebrew sayings translated into Greek, even harder to translate into English, and I would say even harder still to apply. So we're going to try to do all that this morning. And so what we're going to see here, there's a lot of symbolism and insight, and, and it's going to be, like I said, going to be building off of uh, the, the seed last week. We're going to bring light to it this morning, hopefully all puns intended, and then we're going to continue with the seed analogies next week. And so this is kind of the chapter of the the seeds, and this is a little interlude in the middle, which kind of gives some insight and application to those hearing Jesus. And so another thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to use Jesus' words to interpret Jesus, which is always a good practice. So everything we're going to see here this morning is spoken of in Matthew Uh, and some of them in Luke, but we're going to look at Matthew this morning. So you're going to keep your finger in Matthew. We're going to keep going back to each of these sayings of Jesus in Matthew in their context in Matthew. And so many people have raised the argument that Mark is just cutting and pasting here. That Mark is just taking sayings of Jesus and hodgeposing them together, and there is no consistency here. It it makes no sense. And um, that Mark doesn't have any either original ideas or Mark is just throwing these together. Now, I'm going to show that that's not true, but could it be that Mark, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, condensed these, these sayings? And uh, we know from Matthew there's a lot longer dialogue that goes on here. Of course. But also, that discounts the fact that Jesus might have said the same thing more than once. Now, as we've seen so many times, there's a great Hebrew teaching tool to say the same thing again and again. And parents, this is a good teaching tool. How many times do you have to tell your stubborn children the same things over and over? How many times does God the Father have to tell his stubborn children the same things over and over? And so the things that are important, Jesus will repeat, and we'll, we'll see them in different contexts and different places, and I think it'll be helpful when we pull in Matthew here. So, pick him in verse 21. And he said to them, So them, this is still the same day, the same audience. We've been on the same day in the life and ministry of Jesus for the last couple months. And we're going to be here for the next couple weeks. He says to them, remember last week, those in the inner circle, those who who stay around to listen to him, not just who come for the, the miracles, not who just come for the show, but who sit at his feet and listen. To you, those on the inside, you've been given the secrets of the kingdom. And so he says to them, and he asks a rhetorical question, and again, we, we will read this with modern ears and I want to help us get context here and assume that, okay, Jesus is just saying something that's, that's pretty obvious. Well, this, this rhetorical marker in the Greek is, is very strong. It's like, surely not, certainly not. You would, you would certainly not bring a lamp into a room and then stick it under a basket. But look what Jesus says. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. This is a lot stronger in the original than it looks. But this is rhetorical. Of course, this is a simple answer, case closed, done, right? But some things that Jesus is, is doing here. First, all of these items are common household items. If you lived in the ancient Near East during that time, you would have a lamp. So a uh, picture like the uh, Aladdin lamp, but a lot cheaper. You know, just ceramic, the little uh, gravy boat shape with uh, a wick at the end, and uh, you put oil in it, and you set it on, uh, you would light it, and it would light up the room, hopefully. And so those were very common in every house, and when archaeologists dig up sites, that's one of the most common artifacts found. Everyone would have had one of those. And so, um, but we don't have to know or hold that kind of lamp to understand the concept. It applies to any light source. No one turns on a flashlight and sticks it in a drawer. Like that's. It, it's just it's just common sense, um, and so the next one will be a basket. And so this word basket doesn't mean much to us. It is literally a peck measure. Anyone know what a peck is? It's an it's an it's a it's a measure of dry weight. There's an old uh, kids riddle: Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Uh, and so a peck is about two gallons dry weight. It is a quarter of a bushel. So why is that important? It'll be Uh, important later so this was a a, a peck measure so when when they would go out and barter for wheat or buy wheat that was the the typical amount for for your household this is the wheat that is that is given to you so that you can feed your family and so of course you carry wheat like this you don't carry it like this and if you were to flip it over and put it over your lamp that would be self-defeating so that's very silly the next one is even more silly because this this word for bed when we hear bed we think raised bed mattress, frame. They didn't have mattresses in frames. This word is the same word that Matthew and Luke say when Jesus uh, heals the, the, the paralytic man, and he says, take up your bed and walk. It's like a thick yoga mat. He rolls up his bed and he goes home. This is how ridiculous this is. If you were to take a light and put it under your yoga mat, Basically, not just slide it under your bed, which is conveniently off the ground. No, you are, you're putting it under your, your bed, your only soft place to sleep, and it's going to catch on fire, and you're not going to have any light in the room. This is ridiculous. And so Jesus is kind of painting this, this picture. So every house would have these things, this mat that they would sleep on, the basket, but every house would also have a stand. And so this is very important because before electricity, and most of the world, throughout most of history, has never had electricity. You need fire, you need light to see, you need, you need that to function after dark. And so there would a, be a stand, and the, the stand was very important, because where you put it in the house would depend on what you could see. And so it was not stuck in a corner, it was not put in a room where people didn't use, it was placed in the center of the house where, where all of the, the family would gather. Typically it would either be a wooden stand or an extra piece of block that would come out of the side of the house but most often if your house was constructed this way it would be attached to the center pillar so it'd be a pillar that holds up your roof in the very center of the house this is the most central item in your entire house other than the pillar that holds the roof up why because if you place it centrally it will light up the entire house So this is how important this lamp is and this is how ridiculous it is if you would put it in the center of your house on this stand to light up your entire house and then put a basket over it or then put your bed over it. Everyone who hears this would understand, okay, Jesus, this makes no sense. Who would ever do that? So the first thing I want to see is what is the lamp? And so I think it's helpful that we see this in context. This is why we set up these two analogies. What was the prevailing theme last week in the parable of the talents? What was repeated more than anything else? Someone paying attention, please. Word. The word that would, that, that would bear fruit. So is it the word in context, the gospel? Absolutely. Is it the gospel that is, is given to the good soil that will, will bear fruit? Put that in the middle of the room, absolutely. But also... Could it be the content of the gospel? Jesus Christ himself, you have been given the light of the world, which is in you. And I think the answer is yes. And you can't separate those. And so when he talks about the, the lamp here, I want to get into some Old Testament references that kind of bring this together. This is light and understanding, but this is true light, light of light. And the most important thing we have to understand is you cannot shine something you do not possess first. And so being good soil, receiving light, now I can shine what I have in Christ Jesus. And so what is Jesus saying? Let's put all this together. So without the word, you're living in darkness. Without this lamp, you're going to stumble around the house and you're going to fall over and make fools of yourself. But if you are good soil, you will hear the word and you will receive the word made flesh because he has given you light. Because he has given you eyes to see. And if you have that light, and if you have that word, it should be central in your life. It should be at the very center of everything. Because if it is, it will light up your your house. It will light up your very self. It should be at the center of who we are. In the center of everything we do. And if he stands in the middle, we see everything clearly. The world becomes clear because... The gospel, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, lights the darkness around us. So this is not a new concept. So I want to look at a few things quickly, and they'll be on the screen. Just uh, I want to look at a a few verses. So especially in the wisdom books, the lamp gives us an indication of, it's a great analogy for what God does in his people. Look at uh, Psalm 18, 28. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. Jesus is calling back to the psalms of praise and encouragement. And psalm 18 is not a very encouraging psalm. And so in the midst of persecution and, and hatred and all this, it is the Lord who lights my lamp and the Lord who lightens my darkness. All of us should know Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God himself being the lamp and his word being the light unto the path. Proverbs digs a little bit deeper. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So central is it to the follower of Christ, to the people of God, his commandments Our discipline, which is a good thing, and it is our very way of life. Then it kind of probes a little bit deeper. Look at Proverbs chapter 20. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all of his innermost parts. This is not just some external idea placed upon you, it is placed within you and it searches God's word. Pierces, as we're going to see in Hebrews four, joint and marrow, soul and spirit, digs into the very heart of man, and nothing is in darkness. We are left naked, as the writer of Hebrew says. God's word is that powerful and that searching. It is God Himself looking into us and illuminating us. and And if we take that as our way of life, it is a light unto our path. This is an important analogy. Jesus is bringing this full circle. And so what essentially he's he's saying, looking at the context of all Jesus teaching, is I came that you might have life. I came and died and gave myself to you. Put my light within you. What are you going to do with it? This is a really important question. Are you going to be the one who puts it on a stand or puts it under the basket? I gave my life for you. How could you hide me? How ridiculous is that? how unthinkable it would be to put a lamp under a basket or under a bed. It's as unthinkable as hiding Christ. We're going to get into more of the parallels here, but there's an additional thing. This is just within ourselves. Additionally, the the light is not to be covered or, or hoarded, but shine for all to see. On full display that everyone who walks into your house, everyone who comes into your presence sees the light of this lamp on your face. Sadly, I think so many people treat Jesus like their own little private firefly. If you've never left the South, you're missing out on the joy as a little kid of catching fireflies. And you you know, you, you go outside in the summer months and these little amazing bugs that that light up like little LED lights over your backyard. You try to catch them and you put them in a little jar. And as a kid, like this is my own little private nightlight. I've got them here in a jar and got them them safe and I can go and look at them anytime I want. How many people, how many of us have treated Jesus like that? I've caught this this little thing and it's amazing. I'm going to keep it in a a jar and hoard it to myself and I'm going to go and get my little private light source anytime I need it. And that's about as powerful as many of us think Jesus is, as well. How often do we think Jesus is just that small? He's just enough light for me. I and mean, he can't go beyond that. But what is the expectation in the reality of someone who's been given the light of the world? He's not this dainty little firefly that, that, that flickers and will one day die. He is the light of the world, whose light shines on everyone. This is an amazing light. This is the lamp that we've been given. What is the responsibility of those in a dark world with this light, with this lamp? This is what Jesus is getting at. The light we have is the message of the seed who died that he might be glorified, who died that he might go into the ground, that there might be a harvest that came up out of his life. In his life in us, that the Father would be glorified. There is no brighter light than that. But how often do we put it under a basket? How often do we stuff it under our bed and hope that he's there the next night when we go back to say our prayers for a few moments? Sound familiar? In in our lives and in Scripture. Here's going to be our our first text in Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 5. You will keep your finger over in Matthew. We should all know this we teach our little children to sing as we should. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Why is that an important message? Because it's true. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Look at what Jesus uses to apply that. So it's, it's the light within us, but it's the light that comes out of us as well. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and what does it do? It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Just like the seed who is not concerned with death, the light is not concerned with what people think about us. If you have the light, our concern is the glory of God. Our concern is God being glorified in everything we say and do, and it should be evident that everyone who walks in your house, everyone who walks in your presence, like, there is a light about this person. I love when I hear people talk about people who knew them before Christ or after Christ, and there's something different about you. There's a joy that is different about you. There is, there is something that I didn't see before. man. And, and see it as, as a good thing. And that is, that is beautiful. That is the, the, the wonder and amazement we have of being new creatures in Christ and being filled with that light. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to grow in Christ? Seems counterintuitive, because typically, modern Christianity says to grow in Christ, you need to do more for yourself. Do more, do more, do more, do more. I have to get right before I can do anything for anyone else. want to grow in Christ let your light shine let your light shine in you and before others be a joyful witness to what Christ has done in you want to stay in immaturity hide your light and hoard it for yourself now Jesus builds on this in the next verse verse 22 for building on what comes before Nothing is, nothing is hidden except, look what's repeated twice here, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Essentially, nothing is except, nothing is except. Means these things only come. Nothing is meant to be made, kept in secret. Nothing will be hidden forever. The secrets of the kingdom come. Because even if you hide it, it will become manifest. You cannot hide this light. You can suppress it as much as you want, but the rocks will cry out if you do. It was not given to you that it remain hidden, that it remain a secret. This is one of those secrets you're supposed to pass on. We'll see that in a moment in Matthew chapter 10. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. That means to be brought into view nor is anything secret except to come to light. These things hidden, these things secret up until this point, the secrets of the kingdom of God, the secret that God would take on flesh and walk among his people, the secret that he would walk perfectly for the life that they couldn't live, the secret that he would have to go to the cross and all of his disciples fought against. It was hidden that through him going to the cross they would have life and life everlasting. And through Him ascending to the Father, they could follow Him and ascend to the Father one day. All these things are hidden, but they're not meant to be hidden, so don't hide them. These things are confirmed by the Holy Spirit, and they are revealed to the sons of God and proclaimed to the world. But don't take my word for it. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 26. Okay, so when we're scared of these things, scared of our light, when we're scared of these things that have been hidden from us and then given to us and hidden from the rest of the world, what does he say? Verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Look what he instructs you. Here's what you know. This stuff will be made manifest. What do you do with it? What I tell you in the dark say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. People ask me, why do you get so worked up when you preach? I'm commanded to. Amen. 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 Proclaim from the housetops. You've heard it in a whisper. Jesus speaks in that still small voice. We are to be heralds to the nations boldly and confidently in this. And what do you say, well, what are they going to think of me? How are they going to respond to me? Jesus knows what you're thinking. Look at verse 28. And do not fear those who will kill the body, even if they kill you. It's not the worst thing that can happen. But they cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And only one can do that. I'm going to shake some of you up for right now. Satan does not reign in hell. God reigns over hell. He is the only one who can send you their soul and body. It is him you should fear, not man. And he goes on to say, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And goes into all these analogies essentially that God knows everything. Even the very hairs on your head grow at the speed in which he commands them. Don't you think he is sovereign over your words and your eternity? Look at verse 32. Why should we not be fearful? Why should we proclaim it on the rooftops? Because Jesus said so. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is what's at stake. Because modern Christianity will tell us it's okay To just say, I believe in Jesus and go around with a smile on my face and do good deeds all the time. Do we believe that or do we believe the words of Jesus? Everyone who acknowledges me before man, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Denying Christ is taking that light and putting it under a basket, taking that which is hidden and keeping it hidden. Like Gollum and his little ring that he doesn't want to give to anyone else. This is the light of the world. There is plenty to go around. Trust me. So the question we must ask ourselves when we read this is, who am I in this, this parable? Is the light center in my room, in my life? Is it shining for all to see? Will I acknowledge Jesus before the world? Or is it hidden under a basket am i trying to keep it secret because i fear man more than i fear god so he goes on with the back in mark now with the same thing we've heard a few times and he uses in all the synoptics if anyone has ears to hear let him hear we've covered this the last couple weeks this is a strong call This is not suggestive. It's not put on ears. But if you have those ears, use them. And we all have these weird looking things on the side of our heads. And they all work, hopefully, to bring in sound. But they do not all pull in the divine frequency. They have not all been tuned. So just like radio waves, if you know anything about radio waves, we discovered radio waves. We didn't invent them. We didn't make them. They are always there until we figured out how to tune into them. And until the, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and opens your ears where you can hear the divine things, now you've got ears to hear. You've got that frequency. Are you tuning into it? And again, this is not a passive like, oh, I hope they hear God wringing His hands up in heaven. No, I gave you ears. You had better hear. This is the force of what Jesus is saying here. And so there's a direct relation between hearing and doing james tells us not just to be hearers of the word but doers also what you hear you must apply and here's where we get the application in verse 24 and he said to them pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it will be measured to you so here's an action that follows up with the hearing so pay attention If you have ears to hear the things of the kingdom of God, you have been given light, you have been given understanding. Again, what will you do with it? How will you use it? What measure you use it? Now, this should bring to mind, if we just translate it basket in the English, we miss the connection here. There's a peck measure before. What measure will you use it? Will you take that basket, that, that measure, and will you, will you hide it? I'm going to store away just what I have for, for me and my family, and I'm going to keep it to myself. Will I flip it upside down, which makes no sense to cover my lamp? Will I flip it over? Know that it is full, and give it away freely. With what measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. There's this old Jewish proverb, and it says, in the pot in which you cook for others, you will be cooked. This is, this is the sense here. If you're stingy with the gospel, you will have little benefit from it. Amen? But if you are generous with the gospel, knowing who gives it beyond measure, measure upon measure, knowing that the gospel has been given to me, I can keep giving it away, and the one who filled me in the first place will keep filling me. We'll keep filling this basket, and I don't have to be stingy. I don't have to measure it out because my God is generous, and he is gracious, and he he is good. And there's a sense here that you will reap what you sow in your own life. Many of us are stingy with others, but how often are we stingy with ourselves? Yeah, I don't really read. I don't really go to the Lord in prayer. I don't really think on the things of God. I'll go to God when I have an emergency. Are you stingy with the gospel in your own life? If you are, I guarantee you'll be stingy with it with others. And there's a direct relation here. With what measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Well, who measures it? Not just empty fate and cosmic karma, but the sovereign hand of God who knows what He's given you how you use it, He will measure it back to you. And So both of these verbs here in this verse. Pay attention to what you hear, the, the, the future verbs. It will be measured back to you and still more will be added to you. These are what's called future passives. Meaning this is something that happens in the future that is done to you. That you don't do. If you do this, God guarantees He will do it back to you. It will be done to you. God does the measuring and the adding. You can turn to Matthew 6.33, but most of us should know this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the principle here. Store up treasures in heaven. Work for the kingdom. What you do, if you seek His kingdom and His righteousness first, everything else will be added to you. That's why we are given this basket in the first place. Then there's one more add here, and still more. So to be measured back to you, this is how God gives to his people. It's a beautiful thing. If I sow into the kingdom, if I use what God has given me, he will replenish, and then more will be added on top of that. God never gives us just what we need, never gives us just what is enough for, for, for now. He is Good and he is gracious and he is merciful and he keeps adding on. How do we know that? John 1.16. John one16 it'll be up on the screen. Talking about Christ here in, in, in the prologue of John's gospel. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. He will keep filling your basket. He is the source of grace. He is the source of light for your weakness, grace. For your inability, grace. For your sin, grace. For your evangelism, grace. He's like a grace factory that runs 24 hours a day, pumping out grace for you and you and you and for me. And more will be added. How can more be added? Because He is the source of all grace and all light. He can add as much as He wants. And so when Jesus talks about in John 10, the great shepherd says, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. This is what it means to have abundant life. Not all the garbage that the prosperity gospels teach, but the abundant life of grace upon grace, light upon light, that he does not measure out. Thank God, praise God, that he does not measure out his grace for us. Thank God that He does not hoard His grace and forgiveness like we hoard His gospel. and He adds it to His people in our faithfulness. And so let's let's apply this. So are you struggling in your faith? If you are struggling in your faith, it is probably because you're not measuring it out right? Are you consumed with yourself and your own problems? Is handling what you have to deal with enough for you? And you're being selfish. And only thinking about yourself and others and wonder why is my faith struggling? Why am I not growing? Probably because I have a very small measure. Instead of the big basket I've been given, I've got this little measuring cup. I uh, have a little bit of the gospel here, a little bit for others here, and, and just holding on to it because I think God isn't good enough. I think God doesn't have enough grace for my insufficiencies. So let me ask another question. Are you struggling with relationships with others? And if you are not, you are lying. Every one of us, if you have met another human being, they are frustrating. And they are terribly sinful, and none of them measure up to our expectations. And every one of them will disappoint us at some point. Amen? Jesus uses the same quote in Matthew chapter 7. Look at the context here. Every one of us knows this verse. Because if you ever meet a non-believer, this is the first place they go. Judge not lest you be judged. But look at how Jesus applies the same principle. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Jesus gives us the secret to grow in him. Don't be stingy with your faith. Jesus gives us the secret to peaceable relationships. Don't hold people to a higher standard than you will hold yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If you measure out judgment, you will be judged. You want to look at a a miserable person? Typically, they're the person who is most fed up with everyone else around them. Look at a happy person? Someone who can easily forgive and shows grace and shows mercy and knows, I am chief among sinners. I must pull the plank out of my eye before I worry about the speck in the next person. The measure applies to the things of God and to the people of God, especially within the church. Man, I would see, we would see so many disagreements and divisions within the church cease if people were not holding other people to standards higher than themselves. If they were not expecting things from other people that they're not willing to do themselves. I told you this is hard to translate from Greek to English. It's even harder to apply from English to English. This is not meant to be a list of easy sayings. So one, we should be encouraged in what we have in Christ. We've been given the light of world of the world. And we should also be convicted and, and, and challenged when we don't use it appropriately. But then the other part here, in this application, if you're struggling in your faith or you're struggling with others. But let me ask you, when have been the most vibrant times in your Christian life? Isn't it when we pour into others? When without measure, we love others, serve them, care for them, proclaim the gospel without restriction. Those are the most fruitful times in our life. When we are generous with the things that our generous God has given to us. This is the encouragement. Yes, there's the the challenge. Don't be stingy, but also be generous. Our God is full of grace, and we've been given grace upon grace. Grace. This is what it means to live an abundant life. Know how rich your father is in wealth that will not pass away. And you can be rich in giving it away. Even if you don't have a dollar in your pocket, you are rich in the things of God. And so, as we look at the close of this last section before we get to the last verse, no one bears fruit in the darkness. No one who hides their light bears fruit. You cannot bear fruit if you keep it to yourself. You cannot bear fruit if you don't apply it in your life. You don't apply it to those who the Lord has put in your life. It's impossible. We are meant to bear fruit. We are meant to take the kingdom of God that we have nothing to do with, that we have no stake in on our own, we're given to by grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit And our obedience, it is multiplied tenfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. This is the encouragement here. And then we get to the most difficult verse of them all. Verse 25. For, still continuing on what was said before, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? We don't realize how socialistic we are in, in, in our hearts. Our first thought is that everyone receives the same outcome. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair that the person who has gets more, and the person who doesn't have gets that taken away. Well, they don't deserve that. You know what's fair? Hell. Judgment. You know what we deserve? the punishment for our sins. We don't deserve grace at all. This so is where we must rearrange our, our thinking. God doesn't care about our false sense of equality. God cares about His children. God cares about His glory, and those who care about His glory will be added on to what He has already given them. So let's, let's, let's break this down here. First thing I want you to see is there's a kingdom reality that there are no partial winners or losers in the kingdom. There is absolute gain, everything in Christ, or absolute loss, your life taken from you, everything stripped away from you, suffering in full rejection and hatred of God. There is no middle ground. So, I want to look at a couple words here. For to the one who has, we're going to deal with the has and then the has nots. For the one who has, this is possession again. What you have, what you have been given, whether it is the word, whether it is your faith, whether it is your gifts, it has been given to you. It has been entrusted to you, to steward, to work, to multiply, for the sake of the kingdom, and if you're faithful with what God has given you, it will be added more to you. You have been given it, it is God's, it is His discretion, He gives what He wants, but we're also entrusted with it. We've been working through the disciplines of a godly man, and He speaks of the language of spiritual sweat. We must work through these things. There is, there is sweat that happens, not just when I preach, but in the, the, the Christian life. Where we work with what God has given us. We, 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 till, we till the soil so that He receives a harvest. If we are faithful, more will be given. Now, do we desire to grow? I hope so. Do we desire to increase in the Lord? We know that we are, we are, we are co-laborers, and what he has given us, if you have it, you are given it for his purposes, to multiply for his gain, not your own, but will ultimately become your gain. Let's look again. Let's let Jesus tell us a story in Matthew 25. I'm going to pick up in verse 14. We know the parable of of the talents. But let's think about this applied in the context of what we're reading here in Mark. What you have been given, for those who have been given, more will be added. Those who have not, even that will be taken away. Look what Jesus says. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, two each according to his ability. There are no unintentional words in, in scripture. God knows who we are. He has given us according to our own ability, and he's given us for his purpose. Look what he says. He will receive the five talents when at once is the industrious one, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money, put it under the bushel. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with him, with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Christians, we live our entire lives wanting to hear these words. This is the motivation for why we do everything we do. Well done, good and faithful servant. To give God glory. To serve Him well. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Beautiful words. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you think about eternity with God as the joy of your master? Do you strive toward it wanting to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? The same thing happens for the one who has two talents. Here's the same exact message. But look at verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Is that seed coming up again. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have back what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scatter no seed. Then you ought have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. This is just like our four soils last week. One of them will multiply, will be given more, and will bear fruit. And the rest of them, even what they have, will be taken away. So those are the hases, and it leads us into the has not's. They're not given the kingdom, they're not given the secrets, they're not given the lamp, and to be honest, they wouldn't want them. They're content in what they seem like they have, but even that will be taken away. You will reject Christ and even your little kingdom that you are holding on to will be taken away from you. You will be cast out, wicked and unfaithful servant. Everyone on this planet has been entrusted as stewards. From the very beginning, we were called to have dominion over this this planet. There are many unfaithful servants and they will be cast out. They will reject Christ and be left, left with nothing. And the opportunity to believe the gospel proclamation goes out, and it is blessings guaranteed in this life, but those blessings go on forever. But for those who reject Christ, they think this life is bad. It'll be worse for eternity. There is weeping and gnashing and teeth cast out into utter darkness. And if you think you have something apart from Christ, if you are holding on right now in this room, holding on to something that you think is greater than Christ, you will realize how worthless that is if you die grasping it with your cold, dead hands and even that is taken away from you. So help bring this together, our last passage in Matthew before we close up. Matthew 13. This is the same context. Again, I told you, Matthew gives us a little bit more detail in the parable of the sower and he brings all these things together. And so when you hear modern people argue, well, look at the order in Mark is different or the wording is different in, in, in Matthew. The gospel writers do not care. They're not beholden to the modern idea of textual criticism. We're going to argue and debate over every word to make sure that everything is, is, is precise. They would hate God's word no matter what. But each writer, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, gave exactly what we needed at the, at the right time to support the message of each gospel. So Matthew kind of brings these things together and gives us insight into this this whole passage. Verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, looking back to two weeks ago. For to the one who has, more will be given, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And he who has an abundance, excuse me, and he will have an abundance, guarantee again here. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But look at the helpful detail that Matthew adds at the end of this section. Pick up in verse 16. This is the encouragement to the believer. If you're feeling guilty right now, good. But don't walk away only feeling guilty. Apply that, but walk away in the encouragement here because Matthew says through the words of Jesus, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Please don't make Christianity a list of do's and don'ts. Please don't walk away saying, Pastor Tim said I've, I've got to hear more and, and, and I've, I've got to do more. We only do because we hear and we praise God that we hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. Moses longed to see it. Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jonah, Malachi. They longed to see what we see. We are blessed because God has opened our eyes and we see the fullness of his redemption in Jesus Christ. Amen? Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it. Hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is why it's so ridiculous if we hide the lamp. How amazing is this? Moses is looking down right now from glory, saying, This is incredible. The angels are in wonder at what God has done in his people. Our God is gracious and generous. He gives us more, like I said earlier, more than we ask, more than we need. We ask for forgiveness, we cry out for mercy. And He gives us forgiveness. He gives us redemption. And He gives us righteousness. We are justified. Sanctifies us. Adopts us. Gives us an inheritance in Christ. Gives us glory in Christ. God is so generous. Why are we often so stingy? And I want you to be encouraged in this. That whether you have been given much or given little in Christ... Everything you have been given will be multiplied exponentially in glory. You will no longer worry about how much more he or she has over there because you will be in amazement at how much riches, heavenly glory God pours out on his people. So I just want to conclude with a couple things. One, Ever wonder why people? Why are we shared or scared to share the gospel? Why are we ashamed or intimidated to freely, boldly shine the light that is within us? I would say two factors. One, we underestimate how dark the darkness is. We think all oh, these people are not too bad. They're they are good enough. You know, we get we get confused because we live in Florida and the sun is shining outside, S-U-N, but we forget when we look at people who do not Christ, know Christ, the S-O-N is not shining in their hearts, and it is as dark as New York winters, darker, or Michigan winters. We don't know how dark the world is. We don't know that it is perishing, That it is that it is serving its father, the devil. We get lost and think that things are just okay. Or we underestimate how bright the light is. It's got to be one of the two or a combination of both. Because we think somehow that the gospel, this light, is our ability to string together a sentence. That the gospel is my own ability to say something that will please someone else and that they will be pleased with me. We forget that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There is no brighter light. There is no darkness that can hide it. There is nothing that can fight against it. If the Holy Spirit is, is, is working, it will even come off of my stumbling mouth or your stumbling mouth and accomplish its purpose. We underestimate how dark the darkness is and we underestimate how light the light is. And there's maybe the third one that's just attached to both of them. Jesus never says that this lamp is only given to professional Christians. This is Tim's job to proclaim the gospel. If you have Christ, you have light, you have a lamp. Every one of us. And so this is where we find our encouragement. We are people of light. Walk in the light. Let your light shine in you and let it shine from you. Be encouraged and be bold. God gives graciously and abundantly to us if your sins have been forgiven you know how gracious and abundant he is towards you shouldn't we be the same with his word and his grace toward everyone we meet amen but if you reject him you're sitting here this morning without him whatever you feel like is something is nothing and even that will be taken away from you let's pray Lord, thank you for your word. Again, every week, it challenges us, it searches us, it teaches us. What an amazing light we have been given. So bright we shouldn't even be able to open our eyes. Yet because of your spirit, we can look on your face. Lord, we praise you for what you have given us. Forgive us when we take it for granted, when we underestimate it and hoard it for our own purposes. Lord, help us to seek your glory. Help us to have a singular focus. Laboring on to glory, that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and find our hope and our home in entering into the joy of our Master. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.